We should talk about it in the same sense, the same calm discourse that is fairly urgent that we apply to environmental toxins such as smog. There's nothing fringe about it. We've created a problem with pollution and we need to figure it out. You're listening to Eat for Life, the show that aims to help you identify the root causes of what ails you so you can heal and live the life you are meant for. I'm your host, Sammy G. We've been hearing about the negative effects of electromagnetic fields for several years now. In my clinic, I've seen the devastating impact they can have on mental, emotional, and physical health. As many of you know, I'm a nutritional therapist and I talk a lot about toxins in our food supply. But what about toxins resulting from EMFs that create what today's guest calls electromagnetic pollution? I'm excited for you to hear my conversation with Nick Pino, an advocate for safe technologies, as we dissect how EMFs impact things like cancer risk, infertility, cognitive function, and aging. Nick the EMF Guy Pino is the number one best-selling author of the Non-Tinfoil Guide to EMFs and an advocate for safe technologies. Through his unconventional approach, blending humor, science, and common sense, he's becoming a leading voice on the topic of electromagnetic pollution and how it affects our health. For the last few years, Nick has been interviewing some of the best minds on health and technology and facilitating the creation of courses and educational materials to raise awareness on this very important issue. Welcome to the show, Nick. I am so honored to have you. Thanks for having me. One of the reasons this conversation is so important to me is the effect EMFs are having on our mental health and mm. our cognitive functioning. Yeah. You know, we're continuing to see this exponential rise in mental health conditions, depression, anxiety, OCD, ADHD. These are all areas, autism, these are all areas that I specialize in. You know, like I said before we started recording, I'm just so grateful that you're exposing the truth about how harmful these things can be. So if we could just start off, Nick, I'd love to know for our listeners, can you share what are EMFs and why are they so troublesome? Sure. So EMF stands for electromagnetic fields. And really, I'm talking about electropollution. And I, th mm -hmm. I think that's a better term. Everyone understands it. You know, everyone understands that air pollution is bad, even though sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't. Depends on how thick the smog happens to be on a given day. We know it harms us. And, mm -hmm. and now society is taking uh, baby steps, or at least these are steps to reduce global pollution. And we know that smog in China impacts the U.S. because it's global. Well, yeah. electropollution is a bit like that. It's global in the sense that some of it now is getting uh, in satellites and it's kind of global pollution. But also there's individual pollution that you're exposing yourself to with your devices and with the Wi-Fi, Bluetooth devices and your own cell phone. So it's, it's a brand new phenomenon, brand new exposure that uh, our biology has not been evolved with, at least not at these power levels, not at these exact frequencies, and not mm -hmm. at these signal characteristics that are, these are very chaotic signals if you compare them to the natural frequencies you have in the light spectrum, for example, or even uh, the different uh, frequencies that we get off of nature, including the Schumann resonance from the earth and many other types of frequencies mm -hmm. that we know impact biology. So where we are at the moment is really in, in, a, in a bizarre spot where in 2011, the IARC, that's the International Agency for Research on Cancer, convened 
convened a working group to look at this agent called radio frequency radiation. And that's your cell phone, the towers, all this wireless. And they looked at this agent saying, okay, what does the science say? They concluded it's a class 2B carcinogen at the moment. So that's the lowest classification. And then uh, people who I think have a little bit of a bias towards uh, I don't want it to be dangerous because it's so inconvenient and I love my technology. They say, well, that's not serious. It's just to be. However, since the last 10 years, new science has emerged, including major rat studies that have confirmed that this is a carcinogen. And some epidemiologists look at the same criteria they used back in 2011. And now they say it should be urgently reclassified as a class one. So what it means is essentially at the moment, we're in the in the process, scientifically speaking, of looking at this agent and saying, your phone is the new smoking. Mm, I don't know wow. how many years it will take until this happens. And there's a lot of pressure for it not to happen because of regulatory capture, because of corporate interest, and also because of something else. The fact that so many people are in love with their use of wireless and devices, and they somehow imagine that if it's a carcinogen, now we have to stop using technology altogether. So it becomes a little bit black or white situation. In reality, the reality is that we have the capacity to have safer technologies. And one one such idea would be uh, wired technologies, for example. We don't even have good internet connections that are based on fiber network to every home in North America and beyond. If we had that, well, we would have incredibly fast internet to the premise. Instead, the wireless industry at the moment, because it it pays more, they want to push 5G. So they even want to scrap the wired wired connection going in homes. And instead, you're going to be blasted with a cell phone tower with a a direct beam instead, which is, these are just silly industry generated ideas. In reality, for taxpayers and for citizens, what is healthier and safer and more secure on an internet uh, security standpoint is wired. So that's one thing. And then reducing power levels, reducing intensity of these machines would not necessarily impair uh, your ability to uh, use a phone. Uh, Of course, People should be encouraged to use it less. There's even an aspect where we're talking about mental health, right? It's addictive. It's distracting. It's a dopamine hit. The research is so strong now. And and the people from Silicon Valley who have developed this technology, most of them are very apologetic or even regretful about their inventions now that they realize how, how much it has negatively impacted uh, mankind and also positively impacted, of course. And I want to have a discourse that is just one-sided. There's good things about the internet and connectivity. And so it's not a question of using or not using technology, kind of going back to the Stone Age. The science is emerging. This is a problem. Should we deny it or keep our head in the sand like many people prefer to do, including scientists, including a lot of people from the telecom industry or people who are in love with their tech? Or should we urgently say, okay, these are the maximum levels we should be exposed to, moratorium on future technologies, 5G is being rolled out at the moment, the fifth generation of cell networks, and beyond, because there's like ideas for 6G now and beyond already in the works, you know? 
because because it's a big hype. It's a big hype, and and so many engineers want to. There's business opportunity. There's uh, scientists say, you know, we should start with saying, okay, no more exposure than this level. And then how do we take steps to lower these exposures and also study how exactly does it impact biology so we can create safer cell phones and safer tech? You had so many great points there, Nick. And one of the things that really stood out that you said is that you're not saying go back to the Stone Age and we need to scrap everything. You're saying let's do this responsibly. Let's do this in a way that our children are going to be empowered rather than get that dopamine hit or have some kind of mental health incapacity. I love how you called this pollution, just like air quality or the quality of your water or the food that you eat. To me, this is such a really amazing and important conversation, especially because this is something that we don't see like food. Like Taco Bell, we drive down the street here in America, we see a Taco Bell. Most of us know that's not healthy or McDonald's or Burger King. Most of us know these processed foods are not healthy. But this is something that we cannot see, that we cannot physically put our hands on, so to speak, other than, of course, our phone or our tablet or our computer. But the pollution that is generated and we don't realize it. And then decades later, like smoking, I think of autoimmune diseases that continue to rise. We're now up to 110 of those. I wonder how much EMFs impact autoimmunity. I I bet it's pretty significant. Well, there, there's many links that, you know, the, the strongest science we have at the moment is brain tumors. Ah, uh, yes. You know, glioblastomas in particular, which is the deadliest type of brain tumor uh, known to mankind at the moment, is increasing in certain countries. And overall, brain cancer is not increasing. So some detractors say, well, you know, if really cell phones had a link with brain tumors, we would have seen it by now. So we're perfectly safe. In reality, certain types are increasing, including in the youth, we have increase in many cancers of the groin area, including uh, uterus, testicular, colon cancer, uh, and you name it. So There might be a link with people keeping a phone in their pocket as well. The truth is we don't have the science. The one we have around brain tumor is pretty conclusive that there is an effect. But this is just the long-term effect. The very long-term, in reality, there could be a lag of 40, 50 years before you develop a tumor from an agent. And that's known. Even an article from a few years back told, told about the story how Hiroshima survivors and their offspring are still feeling the effects, the carcinogenicity of of that event. So it's decades and decades down the line that we see the impact. So what we're supposed to have learned as humanity, what we should say is, okay, these are very concerning effects. And just that is enough to justify reducing the levels, uh, informing citizens on how to use their tech more safely to minimize exposure, just like we're doing with lead and with certain agents where we say, oh my God, now we have these lead pipes. I got a letter from from the city of Montreal here. Oh, you might have a lead pipe at home. And the same thing should be done with EMS as far as informing citizens that they should use their cell phone in safer ways. And we'll, we'll get into what those are, but it's, it's easy. It's so easy, in fact, uh, minimizing your exposure from a phone, for example, that it, it quickly becomes ridiculous not to try it. Uh, you know, the, the scientists that are at the forefront of this issue say you should create distance. 
And that's as simple as it gets. You know, you don't use the phone here, right next to your head where you would have 100% of the dangers. You use it there, just yes. one, one, one to two feet from your face. And then you minimize the, uh, the dangers or nullify them completely. But that's the long-term effects. If we're t- talking about cognitive function, it might be the immediate effect. It might be what you're feeling on an everyday basis. So what do we know about this? Well, there's a few researchers that are looking at the available data. For example, Dr. Martin Paul, P-A-L-L, from the Washington State University. And he has done a few reviews on neuropsychiatric effects of this exposure, including from Wi-Fi. One of his papers is a bit alarming, and some scientists don't like his titles and his position, but to him, it's it's as alarming as it gets. He says, Wi-Fi is a threat to mankind, to human health, to mankind. And that's one of the title of the scientific paper. So people kind of react strongly because they say, my God, if this is true, we're in deep trouble. And this is what he says. So that's one scientist. Other scientists might have other positions. However, the, the fact remains that these symptoms, so for example, loss of sleep or stress or anxiety and depression, there's many links in the scientific literature between the exposure to either cell phones or even cell towers, which is, Mm, I I hate talking about it because it's a little bit doom and gloom in the sense that you can control your phone, but the tower, not so much, except if you move. And most people don't necessarily have this option with their family and job and such. So the reality is that even the background levels now in cities might be sufficient to impair our mental health. So my message, generally speaking, and what I teach in my course, that especially the one I developed with Brian Hoyer, uh, who's an EMF mitigation specialist, it's how to tackle this pollution at home. So just the same way, if you live in a high smog city, what are you to do, really? Right. Well, right. okay. I'm gonna go outside on in a on a in a hazmat. Well, these days maybe it it is becoming a popular idea, unfortunately, for other reasons. But no one in their right mind would fight air pollution in a city, going all outside uh, with a hazmat all the time. And and you could use other things uh, outside, like you could shield yourself or live in a bubble. But realistically speaking, what you can control is your home and maybe office environment. So the overall messaging is. Yes, create distance, but think about it as overall cumulative exposure to these frequencies. And what it simply means is if you're in an office like me, that's my office slash bedroom, as you can see, that's my bed, that's the plant. I don't remember. Uh, Monstera, some, um, my wife would not like it. She's the plant geek here. But anyhow, <laughs> just, to, <laughs> just to tell you that in this office, I used to be on Wi-Fi. At the beginning, before I wrote my book, I was on Wi-Fi, and the Wi-Fi was bad. So the Wi-Fi didn't pick up. It's a long corridor here in how our condo is designed, and it doesn't pick up. So I was very frustrated getting on calls like these. So now I have two opportunities or possibilities. Either I run a wire to this Mm, computer and make it very stable, no radiation for hours and hours every day. I I might work 20 to 30 hours per week, sometimes more. And these are all a lot of hours where I would have been exposed to a computer, maybe a feed from my face. That's a lot of radiation that is cumulative. 
Or what I can do is do like most people would, would do because they don't think about the wired option, just get a faster Wi-Fi. So one with four antennas on it, and then it blasts the entire place in a, and it saturates everything with electropollution. So it's really the, the overall message here is, is cumulative exposure. And think about all these opportunities in your life where you can minimize your exposure and certainly mm-hmm. not eliminate it completely, which is not initially realistic. I just so appreciate that you have this perspective. And and I've been wiring my computer for a long time, but I even nice. admit I could do better with my phone and I keep it out of my bedroom and, and things like that. And that you're reminding our listeners that it's, it is easy to forget that they can just do a direct plug into their computer and that can really uh, dramatically reduce that. You know, we talked about 5G and then I was shocked when you said 6G to be quite honest with you, Nick. <laughs> yeah. Can you share with us, you know, because obviously the powers that be, they say, Oh, it's perfectly safe. No big deal. But why is 5G? And then if we're going to get the next iteration of 6G, why is, why are those? problematic. I I think I'm going to start by introducing the idea that unfortunately with EMFs, it's the worst case of regulatory capture that we're facing. I talked to Robert F. Kennedy Jr. of Children's Health Defense, and Mm -hmm. I had the chance to interview him for for a summit that I'm putting together for this fall. And uh, it it was really incredible when someone who fought against DuPont, uh, the giant chemical, uh, which... uh, this case in particular that it was part of inspired the film. If you saw it, Dark Waters, I yes. think it might have won an Oscar. Uh, incredible film. And I remember watching that movie and saying, oh, my God, it's it's such an uphill battle against some. Unfortunately, a few people at the top of some of these corporations who simply don't care or or have a lot of self-justification going on. And they say, oh, you know what? Uh this and so this isn't so bad for the community and we're bringing a lot of jobs so it's okay to pollute i don't know exactly how they, they sleep at night but some people exactly. just are in it for the money and and that's just it's not the case for every industry across the board it's not something as as uh, simplistic as that but with emfs it's been identified in the past that the fcc federal communication commissions and all other actors who are supposed to regulate the industry are essentially serving the industry or part of the industry even. So he said, you know, this is the perfect example of regulatory capture. Might be even worse than what we saw with Monsanto and and the EPA and and, and that entire ordeal where we have a problem. parallel though. Yeah, Yeah. well, exactly. And people understand this. They saw Monsanto. A lot of people are kind of nodding their head. Yeah, these these guys, Monsanto, are very evil. And so... With, with cell phone companies, they just use the same tools and they want to keep status quo. They want to keep the safety guidelines as, as high as possible because they do business as usual. They can install their cell towers and it's still safe or it's still within the guidelines. They can roll out stronger phones and it's still safe or it's still within the guidelines and it's business as usual. So now they're developing other generations of tech that will bring other options to the users, faster connectivity and engineers and the entire industry has to keep coming up with new technologies because this is how, this is the business model, mm, uh, unfortunately, right. where you, you develop 5G and then 6. 
already you have, uh, I was reading a newsletter this morning, uh, you have more than 10 corporations or groups that are looking at 6G, what it would look like, how do we <sighs> include more radiation and higher frequencies beyond 5G, and how, uh, and then they're rolling out the satellite. So the, you have regulatory capture, which means that our assessment of what is safe and is not is completely skewed and uh, we cannot trust it, basically. Then you have hundreds of independent scientists that have no ties to any industry that say, well, we should at least reduce the levels preventatively while we have more science. Uh, we have then class 2B carcinogen becoming a one. And then we have an industry and an entire world that is shifting in exactly the opposite direction of safety. Increasing, right. increasing, increasing. So 5G, you know, a lot of it has been said on 5G. A lot of honestly crazy things have been said about 5G around the the, the pandemic and a lot of speculation. I get oh, into interesting. Mm. I get into none of that personally. I didn't even comment on, on that link uh, at all in my work. And some people kind of ask me, Nick, what what's your opinion? Uh, you know, you know, the reality is that electropollution might impair our immune system. That's Dr. Magda Havis from the Trench University in, in, in uh, sense, uh, yeah. Ontario. It makes sense. It's, it's basic sense. For example, one of the mechanisms could be if electropollution uh, impairs your sleep, then, well, of course, it's going to impair yes. your immune system to some degree and your capacity Absolutely. to recover from infection or ward them off. So it's very logical. We don't have to get beyond that. So I think fundamentally, electropollution is a, an environmental toxin that has a cytotoxic effect. So that could be toxic to your cells and create oxidative stress. That might be why it's a carcinogen. It might also impair healing, impair DNA repair. So there's many mechanisms that could explain, but we don't even need all the mechanisms either. So that's a little bit just geeking out about the science, which scientists will be happy to do. But in, in reality, we should not engage in these new technologies. Now, the reality is that it's hard. I have an iPhone. Now, eventually, it's going to become deprecated. I'll have to upgrade it. What do I do, right? So exactly, yes. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a difficult problem. So what I'm doing at the moment is simply, I, I bought a new computer, a new laptop, and I can still wire it. I can still use a USB to Ethernet port uh, adapter. I put it there, and then I can turn off the Wi-Fi on that computer, so I'm still fine. If a brand of computer doesn't allow me to turn off Wi-Fi, I will not buy this brand. So it's through mm, your choices yes. with with safer options that you're going to move the needle as far as the industry goes. Good point. There's also Absolutely. there's also safer phones that are coming on the market, and I wouldn't say safe phones, but a little bit safer. You know, Mudita, for example, that is a Polish uh, startup, is has done a Kickstarter two years ago, and like every good Kickstarter, it, it, it went. Uh, yeah, we're gonna ship next month. It become next year, and with the pandemic, every, yeah. but still, it's almost <laughs> there. And I can't wait. I, I bought one to be honest, just because I want to experience a different phone where it's a phone that is minimalistic, anti-distraction, low blue oh, light kind of e-reader look, <laughs> e-ink. Uh, so mm -hmm. there's that. And then the, they're also claiming that they're trying to achieve the lowest uh, amount of radiation emitted by any phone on the market. So there's also an effort to minimize exposure to the user. So it's just starting. It's We might call it a light cigarette for, for my personal opinion, but still, 
it's an effort in the right direction. And they're also tackling all the other issues around tech that might impair our mental health, including too much distraction and, and a lot of a lot of stress. And, yeah. and social media itself. Uh, you know, what I did, though, uh, just on, on, on that topic, I eliminated Twitter from my phone. Now I go on my desktop. So oh, even on my desktop, I find it... I find it very distracting and I have to kind of pace myself. Okay, just five minutes and then, okay, I need to close it because there's another discussion, another comment, another controversy, another under... So especially in... There's so many options now to have these safer phones or to develop a healthier relationship with it. So, Mm. you know, EMS Mm. and reducing exposure is all part of this conversation. And um, what is unfortunate about EMS... I must say, because I love the conversation that has been happening with certain documentaries uh, on major documentaries on Netflix, uh, The Social Dilemma and and all these where you have people from Silicon Valley that say, okay, we've made a mistake in the sense that this stuff is addictive. And also the Internet and how the algorithms are designed, it's to uh, polarize people like these people are bad. These people are bad. And then they fight. So it kind of it makes us more stupid and inhuman in a sense, because it puts us in a space where we believe certain things more than we should, and we believe that the other side is wrong more than we should, and then uh, we fight. Um, unfortunately, these engineers would probably scoff at this conversation and say, oh, EMFs, okay, that's kind of a the very fringe topic. So that's they don't woo-woo. acknowledge, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they acknowledge a blue light, having an effect on your eyes, maybe eye strain or loss of sleep, and that's good. But EMFs hasn't crossed that bridge to mainstream. And I hope that it will happen. In certain countries, it is more mainstream than others. But in North America, there's still a big stigma around it where people who talk about it, oh, it must be uh, someone who is a fan of Alex Jones and conspiracy theorists and this and that. When in reality, when you look at it and you look at the scientists, you have 300 of them still independent from various universities, it's a worldwide phenomenon. A lot of people in very high positions have talked uh, against our use of this uh, unabated use of electropollution. So it's very far from being, being a fringe topic. The reality is that part of the industry game at the moment is continuing this idea that anyone who speaks against electropollution must be someone who, I don't know, tell believes in other things that are completely fringe so but right. that's uh, kind of like the pandemic that, sorry well, I had yeah, to say it. that's that's a strategy um uh, that's a mental mistake or pattern that yeah, i'm seeing across all topics at the moment where oh uh this people who talk about this must be this and it's yes. very simplistic it's it's silly so people need to stop doing that and these associations. Electropollution, it's a, it's a topic in and itself. It's a it's an environmental toxic toxicity problem and we should talk about it in the same sense, the same calm discourse that is fairly urgent that we apply to environmental toxins such as smog. I, I think it should have the same level of discussion. There's nothing fringe about it. It's just a modern problem. We've created a problem with pollution and we need to figure it out. You know, you've spoken to so many great points there, Nick. And one thing that I was thinking was, 
there was this, uh, you know, a little experiment done where mold was put in a Petri dish next to a router and it increased like 10 times as fast as it would, would have on its own. And we're seeing an explosion of autoimmunity, an explosion of people that are uh, exposed to mold and very sensitive to it and having some significant and very, very severe uh, health challenges as a result and how houses are bu- being built, at least here in the United States, you know, houses are being built very close together. The walls are thin. There's moisture. We have more, uh, you know, our, our air, our climate is getting hotter and hotter. So therefore, there's more moisture in the air. So there are all these factors that are also linked in. Like you said, it's not fringe. It's like we have to look at all of these things together and all of the factors that are contributing to pollution and whatever form that takes and how that is impacting us and our offspring. It's an important conversation because, and you talked about this earlier, you mentioned cancer. And I, I'm worried about infertility because those rates are also very high. Um, and then all the other health challenges that we talked about as far as mental health and, and cognitive functioning. Be sure to stick around as Nick and I dive deeper into safety standards, more simple tips to protect yourself, and all the hype over 5G. Not sure where to begin your healing journey? Check out my clinically developed self-assessment tool. It's a 50-question yes-no journey designed to help you begin the process of identifying any imbalances you may have. It's totally free, takes five minutes, and could change your life. Go to eat4.life, then click on the free assessment tab under Learn to get started today. You mentioned a lot of myths that people have about EMFs. Can you think of any others that you can speak into for our listeners? Um, I think one of them that I talked about in a in a recent interview is uh, people have a hard time understanding the um, what is more dangerous. Like, is it the phone? Is it the Wi-Fi? Is it the Bluetooth, for example? They have certain devices. So they say, Nick, you know, the phone, I understand it. And then I see them. I what's in your ear oh it's a <laughs> it's a bluetooth bluetooth airbud uh airpod that kind of thing or any other bluetooth thingy in your ear and i say well you won't like me as some people often do or they're irritated and thankful at the same time which is a kind of hard feeling to have simultaneously but yeah exactly <laughs> they're like ah nick no not again you, do you mean that bluetooth is bad and i'm like well look look at this Bluetooth is 2.4 gigahertz uh, and it's uh, radio frequency radiation. That's the same stuff we've been talking about since the beginning of this interview, class 2B carcinogen. So now what is the quantification of how much Bluetooth is too much? Well, let's look at the studies on Bluetooth. There's almost none because it's such a new technology and it's, it's barely studied. There's a lot of studies, especially cell phones, brain cancer. Epidemiological studies sometimes is based on people who had phone subscription. Sometimes it's based on surveys. So they're trying to figure it out in the past. And that's epidemiology for you. You, Some scientists have said, you know, epidemiology is bad because you just count the body bags. That's essentially what we're doing at a population level where, okay, who died from uh, brain tumors and who had a phone and how many hours did they talk? And then we say, oh my God, we should stop that. So that's a little bit uh, backtracking. That's that's unfortunate because it's not preventative measures uh, by by mm-hmm. any any sense uh, at all. That's quite the the opposite. It's it's kind of being sorry and realizing after the fact. 
what you can do right now is say, okay, well, the phone is bad because of radio frequency and the Bluetooth thingy is radio frequency. So what do you think? Is it safe? Is it not safe? The reality, there's no reason to think they are safe. And that was literally the title of an article by, I think it was Joel Moskowitz, who says, we have no reason to think that 5G is safe. And we have no reason to think that Bluetooth AirPods are safe because the agent that it emits is is becoming almost a carcinogen. So even at lower levels that Bluetooth might bring to the table, some, some of these are low power. But again, low power doesn't mean safe because we don't know what is the safe amount of VMF that should be emitted deep into your brain because in reality these are even deeper than the phone the phone will be here this thing is inside sometimes one centimeter inside so it's it's highly problematic so the reality if you want to avoid the impacts of ems and you probably want if you understand these risks and accept them (laughs) after a period of maybe mourning when uh, (laughs) you you didn't come across this interview and said, oh my God, I wish I could go back. Now I see EMFs everywhere. Well, it's kind of the the time window where you're going to be in a little bit more anxiety, but after that, you have to calm down and to say, you know what, I'm going to mitigate my risk as, as best as I can. And for me, it was It's rough. It's difficult to understand how nonsensical our our situation has become in the sense that no one will protect you from that widespread effect. And it's kind of up to you to navigate. It's very frustrating to realize that. And it's difficult. And I want to acknowledge that for people listening to this, to, to navigate this without anxiety. it's, It's difficult to stay sane and to say, okay, you know what? Yeah, this stuff is bad, but I'm going to avoid exposure and reduce. If you still use Bluetooth things, you can, but just understand the risk. So think about uh, a a few things. The first thing I want you to think about in terms of EMF reduction is your bedroom. Okay, and this is what we organize yes. inside the course because Brian and I, for our course, Electro Pollution Fix, we, we, we sat down with the idea, okay, <laughs> there are so many sources. A lot of people are anxious. And to be honest, some of our work is creating that anxiety. And we we acknowledge that responsibility where, oh my God, we're making people aware of a big problem, but the problem is so widespread that they might look at the towers and start becoming uneasy. Like, oh my God, I'm being blasted. What can I do about it? Do I move? So they kind of freak out, honestly. So prioritize the bedroom first. And why is that? Well, it looks like the worst effects happen when your body is trying to calm down. These EMFs seem to have a very stimulatory effect and agitating effect that might prevent you from uh, creating enough melatonin at night, for example, or releasing it. We don't know exactly, but the reality is that most people who remove all devices from the bedroom turn off the Wi-Fi at night. Some people go even a step further and turn off the circuit breakers. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a good step. And I, I, I do it still. And there's safer ways to do it in the sense that if you turn on and off the circuit breakers uh, all the time for 10 years, you might end up having to, to change them and things like that. There's the EMF safe switch that is available, kind of a electronically controlled uh, remote where you click and then it turns off the right breakers oh, in a safe manner. So it's a, it's a tool that uh, I do recommend sometimes. I, I have to mention that it's a great brand, EMF safe switch. But if you only did that, you're you're already 
some of the way there. Like it's an important mm-hmm. step. And some people report better sleep right off the bat. Some people don't report anything, but it's just preventative medicine, right? You don't mm-hmm. have to exactly. feel better uh, when you drink filtered water versus tap to know that it's helping you. It's just removing the unknowns and the things that might be in there. So it's, it's the same principles. Then the second thing would be thinking in terms of time of use. So what machine emits a lot of EMFs, a computer via Wi-Fi or a cell phone or a Bluetooth thingy, and how many hours in a week or a month or a year are you spending in front of it or very close to it? And for some people, they tell me, well, Nick, you know what? I work out on my bicycle and I have this watch, but it's like one hour per week. Is it safe? And I say, well, it's one hour per week. So compared to your cell phone, where some people wear it in their pocket 10 hours per day, you shouldn't worry about that exposure from a smartwatch that much. So put it into perspective. Mm -hmm. If you use a Bluetooth uh, thingy and you just keep it there, even when you're not listening to anything, well, it will keep emitting radiation. And now I have a kind of big problem with it because you might be wearing it 80 hours per week. And some people are doing that at the moment. So that's highly problematic if we know that only a few hours per day of cell phone use is linked with increase in brain cancer. In fact, it's less than one hour. A heavy user in some studies have been have been uh, classified a heavy user for 30 minutes per day of cell phone use. And we know that some people spend hours or hours on the Bluetooth thing. So oh, just think yes. and, and just focus on time of use. Time of use is important. Think about it. Some people are freaking out because they realize now, well, you know, at home in the corner of my garage, I have this Alexa because when I work on my car and uh, clean my motor, it's there. And I say, Alexa, play music. And I ask them, okay, well, how many time, how much time are you spending in front of the machine anyway? Oh, uh, an hour a month when I kind of dabble in my car. And I'm like, okay, well, don't even worry about it. You have many Mm, other exposures. Like, what about your office? Oh, well, at the office, I spend 55 hours in front of a computer on Wi-Fi. Can't you be wired? Oh, yeah, I can. But the IT department, so they they just arranged something with the uh, the IT department and then you know, you can be wired. So mm-hmm. sometimes this is this is the way to go to just look at time of exposure. And finally, you need to look at the devices that touch your body directly. Just because by their nature, they will expose you to the, the most potential dangers in the short and long term because they're, all the energy is being transferred to your body in a very close manner. We have links, for example, with uh, loss of fertility, which you mentioned, especially uh, uh, lessened uh, sperm motility or different uh, quality factors of sperm that might be uh, reduced. And also uh, breast cancer cases in women who wore a cell phone or put a, a cell phone in a sports bra or bra all day, every day. So there's some reports of that and the link is emerging, but don't take any chances. So if the device is on you, it should be on airplane mode. These are wonderful tips. And and I feel to your point, yes, we're kind of on overload with information just in all directions, just everywhere. But these are really easy steps that people can take. And we'll definitely be linking to your course and your work and your website in the show notes. You said at the beginning, it's really so much easier than you realize. You're not going to be investing, you know, $2,000 in some big 
clunky device to try and reduce this in your home. These are some, some simple tips that you can do. And yeah. I don't know if this is true, Nick, but I heard that 5G isn't even any faster than than what we have now. Is that accurate or do you have any yeah. thoughts on that? It's mostly hype at the moment. Yeah. I mean, the industry wishes that uh, it was really faster. It's a, It could be a little bit faster in certain situations. It's positioned as something that is way better, incredible. The images are crisper. I mean, 4G, 3G is very fast. 4G LTE is, you can do anything on it and you should minimize anyway how much you do on your phone. You should maximize what you do in front of a wired computer. The problem is that at the moment, all the development of this technology is focused on speed and connectivity and not on minimizing radiation per unit right. speed and maximizing human health. It's not like that. So at the moment, the rules are so permissive. So this is really why uh, we should avoid at all costs uh, the new the new technologies as much as you can. And uh, if you can't, well, sometimes sometimes you might have the option to turn off 5G inside your phone. Like there's uh, on the cellular network page inside your phone, sometimes you can decide where you connect. Oh, but right. Mm -hmm. Regardless of that, if you follow the principles of minimizing your cell phone use and not having it on your face, you're going to be better off, regardless of 5G and 6G and beyond, because it's all a matter of the devices that touch you or the devices that are in your bedroom. I think I read this on one of your blogs or in one of your podcast episodes. Aren't there some countries that are banning Wi-Fi from schools? Did I understand that correctly? So other countries yeah. outside of, and I know you're Canadian, I'm in the United States, but aren't a lot of other countries really seeing the damage? Yeah, they're, uh, they're starting to apply this. You know, there's the, um, the main organization looking for radiation safety in Russia is way more stringent, has been since the, wow. the USSR era because mm -hmm. the, the Soviets were studying the impacts of radar technologies on their military personnel and were not coming to the same conclusions as uh, military uh, forces in North America, especially the U.S., they basically determined that military personnel should not be exposed to these levels that were exposed to, or else will, they will lose cognitive function, etc. And there's a lot of studies that have been recently translated from Russian that show the, the impacts. And it's very, very concerning because most of the, the ensemble of these studies are at power levels equivalent to what people are getting in a, on a regular basis. And these were in military personnel and they were not feeling good after a few years of exposure. Wow. So go wow, figure. Um, yeah, and exactly. it's on older technology and it's on radar. Sometimes the exposures are a little bit stronger, but it shows an overall concern for the agent in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So, and it's even, there's military uh, research from before that. I just have one last question for you, sure. Nick. What is the one thing you wish people would ask about EMS and, and pollution that, that they don't? I don't think people understand, like, why is it that this technology is allowed to the public? Mm. Or who is supposed to protect us? And what are they doing to protect us? Because when you realize that the FCC, let's talk about the US example, which I'm even more familiar with. So the FCC is an agency that doesn't have a single medical doctor or EMF researcher in them, right? They don't have medical expertise at all. What they say is, you know, this is conclusive, this is safe. 
And then what they did, the FCC, because they were asked at a certain point in history in the 90s to look at cell phone safety. And they said, no, it's not us. It's the FDA, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. Why is that? Because the FDA regulates consumer goods. So, oh, a cell phone is a consumer good. And the FDA said, well, we don't have any expertise at all because we don't have uh, biologists and people who understand the biophysics of EMFs. Oh, and so we don't have any expertise. What do we do? We're going to ask the NTP. The NTP is a national toxicology program, which is a branch of the NIH, National uh, Institute of Health. So the NTP studies carcinogenicity in certain agents. They've been doing that. They have the golden, the gold standard of research on rats and mice. And they've done the study, the NTP mm -hmm. study on toxicology of cell phones and cell phone radiation. And that came out in, a, in its final results in 2018. And that showed clear evidence that it's a carcinogen. The conclusion is clear. So somehow that's 2018. Since then, what we've seen is the FDA that was originally, you know, dodging the question and sending that to the FTP, the FDA just said as a public comment or the, the, the person that was the FDA's director at the time said, oh, you know, these rat studies don't apply to humans. At the moment, that's where we are. So at mm -hmm. the moment, when people think that we're protected, I'm like, okay, well, who's protecting us? And they yeah, say, oh, I mean, well, no, 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 exactly. there's rules, <laughs> mediation rules, F FCC. And I say, no, no, hasn't been revised in 20 years. They, they don't even want to revise them. And at the moment, there's a ma massive lawsuit against the FCC because they don't want to revise their rules. Mm, even though the uh, U.S. Uh, Accountability Office, the uh, 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 Ministry of Interior uh, uh, people from the military, there's a lot, uh, EPA, many other agencies wrote to the FCC saying, guys, your rules are outdated. It's 1990, wow. 1990s stuff. Our exposure is not equivalent to what we had in 1990. Exactly. So you need to urgently do something about it. FCC is silent. They don't have the expertise. They rely on the FDA, which relies on the NTP. And the NTP says, yes, it's a carcinogen. And no one does anything about it. So interesting. It is complicated. And top attorneys at the moment are looking to even sue the FDA, saying you guys have the responsibility to take into account the NTP results that you mandated or you kind of you kind of mm -hmm. ask them to do the study, and now the results are conclusive. So what are you to do about it as far as informing consumers uh, and telling them to use their tech in a safer way, at least? And this is where we are. So it's a lot of policy debates, scientific debate, but mostly it's politics and and yeah. and public policy and corporate overreach at the moment. So we're it's super slow to evolve at the moment because of that. So that's most people don't understand this entire ordeal. And what they conclude wrong wrongly is oh, well, someone is looking out for us, and if it were dangerous, we would have been informed by now. Exactly, yeah. No, mm, it doesn't not, work not that so way. Much. Not I, so I much. I wish, I wish, <laughs> but no, it's, it's just not the case. Thank you for your passion on this topic, all the research that you do, your amazing work. Like I said, we're going to link to everything in the show notes. And I just think this is so important a topic that we need to dive into it more. And you're one of the few people that is not afraid to you know, to speak up. And I, I, I really appreciate that about you. So thank you so much for your time and, and your wisdom. 
Thanks for having me and thanks for spreading the word about such a critical topic. Minimizing one's EMF exposure is critical to living a healthy life. I hope my conversation with Nick provided you with a good overview of how electromagnetic pollution impacts you and the simple strategies you can incorporate to lessen your exposure. You can find Nick at the emfguy.com. Don't miss an episode of Eat for Life. Be sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast player.